Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. The topic is curiosity as a spiritual practice. So I'd like to invite us into this uh, this moment, which could be filled with obstacles and frustration, and instead enter it with curiosity. Because how is it going to work? Is it going to work? Maybe it'll even be better. So we'll enter into this with our curiosity. In fact, the very first teaching that I'd like to share is something I learned from our preschool director at Temple Isaiah, Dr. Tamar Andrews. And she said one of the main things she tries to teach children is the difference between approaching the world like this, with your arms crossed, and like this, with your arms open. And there are so many situations lives when we can just as easily uncross our arms in dealing with uh, a difficult situation. So that's the first spiritual practice I'd like to invite you to be curious about. Um, so the next time that you're working, you're in, you find yourself in a difficult situation, I invite you when you're feeling like this, oh my God, I can't believe how long this is taking, um, just said go like this. What can I do with this strange moment that I'm in? Um, and just see how it changes the energy. Okay, so I'm Rabbi Zoe. It's really nice to be all with, you, with all of you. And curiosity is one of my favorite topics to consider, to, one of my favorite practices. Probably started when I first read Alice in Wonderland as a child. And you know that Alice is, often says, curiouser and curiouser. Alice moves through her wonderland with eyes filled with wonder. And this, uh, this idea of, of curiosity is foundational in Jewish thought. And we're going to explore a little bit why. Um, so I just want to say another word about not screen sharing. So um, I actually was talking to someone earlier, and I don't know how all of you feel, but I know this week I was on at least four different Zoom calls where there were PowerPoint presentations. And they were great presentations, but I think that after a, a lot of time of not looking at faces and instead looking at slides, um, you can start to zone out. So let's consider this an experiment too. It'll all be oral, but I'm happy to share the texts with you uh, by email after this class if you want to really delve into them a little bit more. So curiosity. Albert Einstein said, I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious. Let's just think about that for a moment. Thought of as one of the greatest geniuses of all time um, is saying that he's not particularly smart, not particularly talented, but rather that he has is passionately curious. So what does it mean to be passionately curious? I'm just going to throw a couple of other quotes out um, before I open it up and, you know, hopefully we'll get a few responses and we're going to delve into the Jewish understanding of curiosity. So um, Albert Einstein also said, the important thing is never to stop questioning. We know that that is a Jewish trait through and through. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. And one more Einstein quote, he said, the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, an almost fanatical love of justice and the desire for personal independence are features of Jewish tradition, which makes me thank my lucky stars that I'm Jewish. So what are some of the things that makes Einstein thank his lucky stars that he's Jewish? This pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, curiosity. 
Okay, so just a couple of other little quote stories before I, I would love to hear from you what you are curious about uh, concerning curiosity. So uh, we have a Jewish story. The rabbi of Sadgora once said to his disciples, we can learn something from everything. We may learn not only from things God created, but also from the creations of humans. For example, one of his students asked, what can we learn from a train? And the rabbi said, that because of one second, a person can miss everything. What can we learn from the telegraph? That every word is counted and charged with energy. What can we learn from the telephone? That what we say here is heard over there. So we can learn from everything. And of course, we have the famous verse from Pirkei Avot, who is wise, he who learns from everyone. I, I love, there's a story of Rabbi Menachem, Menachem Schneerson, the Rebbe, the Hasidic Rebbe, and he was once, he once said, there's a purpose to everything. And someone asked him, well, what's the purpose of atheism? If everything has a purpose, what's the purpose of atheism? And the Rebbe wisely said, the atheist is the only one who can't say to the beggar, God will help you. So there's a purpose to everything. There's, we can learn from everyone. The Nobel Prize winning scientist, Isidore Rabbi, uh, once said, he, when asked why did he become a scientist, he said, God made me a scientist without ever intending it. Every other Jewish mother in Brooklyn would ask her child after school, so, new, did you learn anything today? But not my mother. She always asked a different question. She would ask, Izzy, did you ask a good question today? And that difference, asking good questions, made me a scientist. So, okay, so those are just a couple of introductory stories about curiosity. The Hebrew word for curiosity is sakranut. But when we study Musar, when we study the uh, path to character development in Judaism and to becoming a mensch, it's often referred to as hitlamdut. Hitlamdut is often translated as having a beginner's mind or having a, a growth mindset. So I want us to think about curiosity as having a beginner's mind. So I'm going to pause there because I don't want to just talk at you this whole time. And just, uh, just take a little, a little survey around what interests you about curiosity. What is the importance of curiosity, do you feel? Why is it important for us to, to create a spiritual practice around curiosity? I think that curiosity, having curiosity means that we're always open to the world and we're willing to learn and not everybody seems willing to learn. Wonderful. Okay, great. Open to the world, willing to learn. And one of the things about practicing Musar or any spiritual practice is admitting to ourselves that as open as we think we are, we still have things that we could practice being curious about. Yes, John. Hey, curiosity is fun. I mean, you know, if you learn new things, it's kind of a fun thing. That's uh, kind of my look at it anyway. Nice. Okay, good. So curiosity, curiosity is fun. And for those of you who might have joined a little late, I just want to um, just fill you in on what's going on. There's an internet shortage in my area doing this from my phone. So I don't, I can't see everyone all at once. So if you see me scrolling a little bit, that's why. Um, and uh, that's why we're not going to have a screen share and slides. So it will be more oral, but I'm happy to share things um, afterwards. Yes, Karen. 
I think it um, keeps us learning about the inside of us mm. and expanding, what? expanding yes. it. Talk I know through all these Zooms, I'm in Zoom University, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, now, wait a minute, I have this book, I'm, you know, now I'm going to go again and sort of look at it. So I think it just expands inside and uh, then gives out to the world. I love that. And we're going to talk a little bit about the different types of curiosity. There's the curiosity and having a beginner's mind with looking inward at ourselves and the environment around us. And then there's also the curiosity we have about around others. And both have challenges. You know, we, we might think that we're very open to learning, but there may be people, you know, let's think about people on the other side of the political aisle um, who we might have a wall against and we're not, we might not be really curious about why they believe what they believe because we were so against it. So there's, a, so curiosity is not easy. Um, okay, so I, Bernard Mans Baruch said, millions saw the apple fall, but Newton asked why. So curiosity leads to discovery. And we're going to talk about how to exercise, uh, how to exercise that curiosity. So um, in Judaism, we know that curiosity is foundational to many of our stories, such as Moses turning to see the phenomenon of the burning bush. You know, it, it was a burning bush. It could have been just the way the sunlight was hitting the bush, but there was something about it that made Moses pause and say, I'm curious about that thing and, uh, and take a look. Or King David meditating upon the vastness of the sky or the incredible adventures of many of the Talmudic sages all have their foundation in curiosity. So Rabbi Sheila Peltz-Weinberg said that cultivating awareness is also another way to define curiosity investigation or having a beginner's mind. So what does it mean to have a beginner's mind? I know someone who I, who I really, Jay, did you want to say something? I was just going to say to sort of answer that. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a religious oh. school teacher. And a lot of times the first thing that comes to my head is the curiosity in the, the, of my, of my students. I'm wanting to learn and, I'm always curious as to what they want to learn because it helps me figure out how to be a better teacher. Ah, that's interesting. So the curiosity of the student actually lifts the teacher as well. The, mm -hmm. the students that are learning because of their curiosity, because they're inviting it and they're drawing it out. I love that. I was going to say that I, I have a friend that I grew up with and um, someone I really admire particularly because he approaches the world almost as an anthropologist. So he's not an anthropologist, but every situation as we've grown up together, different things that he's experienced, he's always had an anthropologist's mind with it. So if he it was in high school and experienced bullies, um, his, um, his, he would think about those bullies and say, I wonder what happened to that person in their home life. I'm curious about... Uh, what would lead a person to want to treat someone else that way? Um, when he uh, plunged a fraternity in college and, you know, saw all the drinking around him and the partying, he, he found it anthropologically a very interesting insight into the human male. <laughs> and so he never was flustered by, by difficult people, by obstacles that he encountered because he was always curious 
about what it could teach him. And that's a hard, I don't, I don't know a lot of people who can do that. So Rabbi, Rabbi Simcha Zissel Ziv, uh, he, he said, every person has a special feeling for a certain endeavor will be, and will be extremely sensitive when they see any little thing having to do with that endeavor. So he gives some examples. What does that mean? When a tailor meets someone, he will immediately look at his clothes. Um, the shoemaker will look at someone's shoes. I don't know if you've ever gone to the movies with a movie director or an actor or, or listen to music with a singer, and they always have something to say about uh, the tone or the style. Um, so we all have something that we look at that we are particularly curious about because it touches our field. So he continues, similarly, a merchant will be very sensitive to any words or actions that will have an impact on his merchandise. Another type of person wouldn't see or hear any of these things because her heart is not given to inquire and investigate anything on these matters because they're interested in something else. And then he concludes, if this is the case, then one who learns from everyone, every person, one who practices curiosity is the great merchant. That person is the great, the greatest merchant because that person trades in everything and understands the necessity to learn from others and is therefore called wise. So I love that story because it makes me think about what are the things that I'm curious about and what are the things that I'm not curious about? So sometimes we meet people and we have no interest in them at all. In fact, we cannot wait to get away from them, right? You might be at a party or some gathering and or we're put in a breakout room with someone and this is the last person we would have chosen to be in that breakout room with and have to spend this time because we're just not interested in them. And But in that moment, we are not recognizing ourselves as potentially great merchants who can trade in anything because there's some, there's, there's something to be curious about that person too. Uh, so one spiritual practice that I'd love to challenge us to think about in the weeks to come is to challenge yourself to be in, to be curious about someone who you are not interested in. <laughs> what would it look like to spend time with someone who's in a field, I know John's laughing, who's in a field that just does not interest you at all. Um, and you would be surprised. I remember talking to an admissions officer for college, and they were saying that they no longer look for essays about building homeless housing, you know, on the shores of Bali. But rather, if you spent the last four summers of high school stocking shelves in the Trader Joe's warehouse um, with no sunlight, just box after box after box, but you can reflect on the meaning of labor and be self-reflective, that that's a, that's a high quality. So what's, who's someone in your own life? In fact, there is a, there's an author, um, there's uh, Brian Grazer wrote a book called A Curious Mind. And he says every two weeks, for the past 35 years, every two weeks he has coffee with someone who's in a field other than his own. He's in the entertainment field. Um, could be a scientist, could be a grocer, um, could be a hairstylist, and allows himself to listen to their stories and be curious about them. So I want to pause there for a moment and just get some uh, reactions if you have any. 
Uh, Ken. You know, one of the interesting questions, you're, you're, you're phrasing the question in terms of somebody who's in a field not like yours. But what I find most interesting, mm-hmm. go, back to, to, go back to our Torah group. You know, nobody sits there in the table and introduces themselves and say, by the way, I'm Ken Wolf, I'm a lawyer. Nobody does that. We get to know each other without any idea of what they're doing. And nothing was more dramatic to me when Joe Gillerman passed away and I went to the funeral and I thought, here's this nice old man that used to put the books out. And I discovered that he's the one that created the circulation of air uh, vents for the space station and the this, and this spacesuits. So, you know, you can get curious about somebody without knowing what they're doing. And in fact, when you find out what they're doing, you may have a prejudice and in, uh, a uh, uh, what's, what's, what's the word now? The uh, bias, bias, a, a, a implied bias, implicit. implicit bias that occurs that messes you up. So I think it's it's more interesting to just take the, the plunge with somebody you just don't know anything about and see what that what that produces. And I find that that much more interesting. Well, and it's, and it's an interesting, so part of the spiritual practice, with, with Musar, there's this idea, bettering ourselves, improving our character, refining our souls, that you need to practice, just like with any exercise, you need to practice. So the Musar rabbis would say, if you have $100, better not to give the 100 to one person, but to give $1 every day to another person over the course of 100 days. Now, that might not have as much social impact as, you know, the, the micro loan to one person. But what it's doing is it's exercising your heart to give. And we need that practice. So we need to also practice with curiosity. So what would it mean in an upcoming conversation that you have with someone, whether it's someone you know very well or someone you don't know? Let's say it's just a brief interaction um, at the gas station or, you know, through your masks uh, with the checkout person. Um, What would it look like to express curiosity in that moment? Um, how are you how are you doing to ask this to ask a, a key questions that may open someone up what can we learn if we do that there are so many opportunities and if we are wise according to peer pay vote it means we can learn from everyone and so that means that everyone we encounter has something to teach right that's what's implicit in that teaching who is wise he who learn he or she who learns from everyone in other words one who recognizes that everyone has something to teach. So how incredible that everyone you encounter has, uh, has a jewel of wisdom to offer you, if we could only unlock it with the right questions. Uh, David. You know, it's interesting. Um, you talk about asking the right questions. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's often said these days that if we spent more time listening to each other, um, we would, uh, it would kind of heal the divisions and the bitterness. But honestly, I think um, sometimes I think for example, things like social media can create situations where like, you're li- like I'm listening to people, like I actually spend a fair amount of time listening to people and they just end up sharing a lot of like sometimes racist or sexist or homophobic. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, wow, all this listening isn't healing anything. This is just making it worse. <laughs> and, but I, <laughs> and I sometimes realize 
maybe what you're saying is about, is there a better way to kind of express that curiosity? Is the, do people present a front on things like social media? Do they present a front to other people in conversation that the real work of curiosity and dialogue, what they really mean by listening is when you have to ask the right questions and dig deeper. Um, just not all listening, I guess, is what I'm going to say, and not all reading or not all seeing what somebody has to offer is maybe created equal because sometimes people are putting out stuff into the universe that's um, that's maybe very repellent, uh, but there's still, we're all, even the most complicated and problematic of us are created in God's image. So it's having the right curiosity to find it, some, you know, to find something among what sometimes can be a very thorny exterior. Yeah, so I think that is true. You know, just practicing and figuring out the right, and John, I do see your hand. Just hold on right. for a moment. Um, you know, what are the, what are the questions that, that unlock? And the thing is that um, true curiosity um, it does not include judgment, Right. And that's really hard to do. So it's hard to be curious when we also are judging. And sometimes we're judging because someone is racist or, you know, is doing something horrible. So we like, you know, so what is the what is the spiritual practice of non-judgment when being curious? So one one study that I was uh, thinking of sharing with you and I will. I don't have access to all the details because of the short, the outage um, was a study that was done at Yale university with conservatives and liberals. And they did a, they found a lot of interesting, really interesting things. Um, one thing they discovered was that um, people who had trauma at age four years old, they looked at what, you know, all these people's experience was when they were four years old, if they had trauma at four years old, they were more likely to be conservative 20 years later. Um, they also found that the fear center uh, of the brain of conservatives is larger than that in liberals. And that when a liberal, um, a devoted liberal experiences trauma in their lives, they become, they tend to become conservative. In other words, conservatism is, is based on fears. And so what, the thing, what they did at Yale University was they did this study where they did intense uh, imagination work, and they invited people to imagine that they could have a superpower. Most of the liberals chose the superpower of being able to fly. <laughs> Most conservatives chose the superpower of being um, invulnerable to pain, being protected, having a protective cloak, nothing could hurt you. And so, and they did a meditation where they had conservatives meditate and, and imagine that they were safe. And in the wake of that imagining, conservatives were more likely to be interested in liberal causes. So if they felt safe, then they were, they were able to um, embrace liberal causes. When liberals feel unsafe, they tend to move towards conservative causes. So I'm just sharing that as an example when David was talking about asking the right questions. Um, what if our conversation with people across the aisle was about fear as opposed to uh, how could you not do this? How could you, but really was about um, being curious about uh, how safe we feel and where that comes from. 
Um, in fact, they even did a study, the study went so far as to say that there have been a lot of comparisons between immigrants and um, disease. Um, immigration is free. Um, and you've had different politicians uh, saying those words. Um, and they found in this study that if you uh, gave people Purell and then talked about immigration, they actually were more open to talking about immigrants and, and opening borders than if they didn't have Purell. So that strange connection between feeling safe, it's so, it's so interesting. Um, so I'm just sharing that as maybe there's a whole other approach to the conversation, which is really about helping people feel safe. John. Well, I just have to uh, uh, quote Ronald Reagan, my one of my favorite presidents, who said that the the largest proponent of law and order is the liberal that got mugged last night. Now, I'm just kind of backing up what you said. I think that's kind of true. I think curiosity does look for an answer, yeah. but I don't. And I, I think you're right. You can't judge what that answer might be, right? You're just trying to get an answer, and you shouldn't necessarily judge it. Maybe that. And maybe there's maybe we can find some excitement and um, enthusiasm about searching for the question, right? This, yeah. this, is, this is an incredible treasure hunt, looking for the question that unlocks the story and unlocks the connection. Uh, Diane. I, I find it interesting, and I don't have any studies to back this up, but, you know, if somebody is mugged, or no, even more so, if my son is killed, murdered, something like that. A lot of people become stricter, more conservative, but on equal amount of, of mothers have become, um, you know, uh, marching for gun violence. So, you know, your father's an alcoholic. You can either be an alcoholic because gosh, dad was, or you can be a teetotaler because I don't want to be like dad. So things that happen seem to go both ways. You know, I don't think mm -hmm. that being, being mugged last night necessarily, although that study is fascinating in terms of just knowing that approaching a group, it might be a good idea to make people meditate and feel safe and then say my controversial yep. things. It's, it is really interesting. Well, if you, if you study mediation at all, you know, curiosity and listening is the foundation to successful mediation. So your, your uh, example reminds me of a story I read, of, uh, there was a book by a mediator, and um, he said that he was mediating a situation where a couple's child was killed by a drunk uh, garbage truck driver in a city park. And... Um, and they were going back and forth for years about, uh, you know, how you know the family was suing the park and how much should the city pay and you know does any amount of money really cover what the loss was? And at some point, after years of going back and forth and pain, um, the mediator said to stopped and said, "Let let's just stop and listen to this couple. Listen to them." You know, not just assume they want money or listen to them. And they gave them an opportunity to speak. And what it turned out that they really wanted was just for people to remember their son and not for it to be just a, a check that was written. And so they eventually named the park after him. And that was, and that was out of 
listening and being curious instead of having our defenses up. So um, they say that at the, at the core of every conflict, whether it's a domestic conflict or it's an international conflict, um, the core of every conflict is a dignity violation. And until we're curious about what has violated the other's dignity so that we can listen and acknowledge it, um, we can never resolve that conflict. Uh, Scott, I see your hand. Um, well, I'll just, I'll just make a comment on that, that little part. And I'm, it's a different question, but so I'm a lawyer. So I, one of the things I've done is, is um, advise companies on how to deal with consumers that call up and have complaints about the product. Mm. And, and I tell them, you know, a lot of the times all the consumer really wants is to know that they've been heard and know that their complaint was like heard and acknowledged. And, and 90% of the time that resolves the issue. Um, but I, I just want to go back more about sort of curiosity, starting with a question, because I've often found that like a, a lot of the best conversations I've had with say like, you know, the checkers at Trader Joe's or something don't start so much with me asking a question as me volunteering something about myself, you know, telling mm -hmm. something about like what I'm doing this weekend or, or what's, you know, why I'm buying something in particular or something. And then I don't know if that's because now the checker feels safe to volunteer something also, or feels like, Hey, I'm acknowledging them as a person, not just as like this sort of servant now behind the plexiglass. But, but that's where I found that, you know, it, it all like the more meaningful conversations happen when I actually like volunteer something about myself yeah. and, and then, you know, that piques their curiosity or they open up about something and, and then, you know, have a nice conversation after that. I think that's real. That's right. And uh, we often, the clergy team, we all often talk about calculated vulnerability. Um, so when, with, whether it's in writing a sermon or in counseling people, how much of ourselves that we're willing to share in order to encourage others to open up. And it's, a, it's an art form, right? How, how vulnerable, how much do you share while also making sure to leave room for others? You know, you mentioned uh, talking to companies and it's true, when I talk to someone on the phone and I'm upset about something and they say, that must be really hard. It makes <laughs> I do feel placated knowing that I'm heard. But the other day I was talking to someone who was trying to fix something for me, someone in a call center, and they said, it's going to take a couple minutes. And I said, well, while we're on the phone, where am I calling? And the, she said, Kentucky. And I said, are you from Kentucky? And she said, yep, uh, born on the streets of Kentucky. And I said, literally? And she said, yes, actually. My mother gave birth to me in the middle of the highway. And, and you know, there was a, a whole little story came out from this moment of pause because of questions. So Rabbi Shlomo Wolbe said, there's no place for arrogance in Hitlamdut, in having a beginner's mind. There's no place for arrogance in curiosity, because when we're curious, we have that open stance, and um, we, we're inviting the learning in. He writes, if I do some action well, behold, I've not done anything to be proud of, because I'm only practicing. This is a practice. And... When I'm practicing and I do something wrong, it's also a practice. So there, there's this idea with curiosity and especially about curiosity about ourselves that when we do something 
we consider wrong or when we stray from the path, when, you know, we want to be a good person, but we lose our temper, um, you know, or we're impatient or all the things we want to improve or we're depressed and we start beating ourselves up for it. Um, rather than thinking of it as failure, if we have a beginner's mind, we think of it as a learning. And it, it's, a, it's a continuous learning. Um, it's an opportunity to notice how we respond to different stimuli and uh, to practice. And we welcome the opportunity to practice again uh, to, to help, help improve ourselves. Um, so we had, someone had mentioned earlier this idea of curiosity toward ourselves. There's curiosity towards others, but also curiosity towards ourselves. So that's something that we can practice. We can think about something that is mundane that we do on a regular basis, like brushing our teeth or checking our phones or crossing the street and pause and think, how am I doing this? How hard am I gripping my toothbrush? How softly am I brushing? Do my teeth feel cleaner? Um, I spoke to someone recently about oh, it's so hard uh, working from home all the time because there's this part of my mind that's always thinking about the dishes that need to get done. You know, in my office, I'm not as aware of the dishes. And she said, oh, I love doing dishes. <laughs> I said, wow, what? Never heard someone say that. And she said, well, I just love water. And I just celebrate water, in just having clean water. And so when I wash dishes, it's just such an ecstasy of water. <laughs> so it actually changed the way I did dishes the next time. I was much more aware of the beauty of the water. So being aware of... Um, of looking around at our mundane actions and taking notice of them. I'm just going to pause here and scroll because you know, be, feel free to just speak up since I'm on my phone. Uh, Ken. I'm always intrigued when this topic came up of a very common phrase, and I've been trying to understand how it plays. And the phrase is curiosity killed the cat. And obviously, curiosity is, is taking a risk. Uh, and sometimes it, it works and it doesn't work. And the only thing I came up with as to why that phrase makes sense is that if curiosity killed the cat, the cat still had eight more lives to go. And therefore, he always had that chance of trying again. And, you know, when he gets killed for the ninth time, then it's over. But, you know... He has nine chances and the whole concept of that's <laughs> pretty good. That's why, I, that's why I think the Jewish understanding of curiosity as the beginner's mind is powerful because it's the difference between curiosity slash nosiness, which can get you in trouble. Nosiness is, uh, is not a positive soul trait and curiosity is having a, 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 a beginner's mind having a, a, a growth mindset where we're always interested in growing and learning. Um, one of the things that I do, and I've, some people may have heard me say this, but it's a practice that I started when I was a rabbinical student. Um, when people would come into my office and would share really personal things about themselves with me, you know, rabbis are not uh, therapists, but we have people come into our studies and, and share things with us as if we are. Um, but we're not trained 
in the same way that a therapist or a psychologist, psychiatrist are trained. And so I had to develop a, a kind of style of how would I receive this kind of information. And so what I do is I look at the person who's talking to me and I imagine this person is someone's beloved. Even if they haven't met that person, maybe they never will meet their soulmate, but but this person is someone's soulmate. And, and through the lens of the soulmate, there's no one in the world more beautiful than this person. And so I try to look at this person who's sharing with me and think about them through the lens of a soulmate. And only when I can see them through the, that they are not just the, but Selim Elohim, right? Made in God's image, but that they are, they, they are beloved. Um, can I hear their words as, as absolutely precious, valuable, important? Um, so how do we do that for ourselves? How do we look at ourselves and instead of uh, punishing ourselves all the time for our perceived faults, notice things about ourselves and be curious about ourselves? Um, curious about the, the darker voices that enter into our heads at certain times, at certain hours. Um, curious about our reactions. Um, you know, I've never been on a silent retreat, but I know someone who was on a silent retreat and she said that because of the silence, she started to notice things like when she, the moments before she became angry, her palms became hot. You know, there are a lot of things that we, we don't know about each about ourselves because we're just not quiet enough. We're just not quiet enough to, to hear. Uh, David. You know, that, Curiosity about ourselves I mean, and how much that can be really crucial to having curiosity about others. Uh, I, I was talking with a friend of mine who was saying, talking about, you know, there's sort of a microaggression that, that folks of color like me, where, where people like go up to you and are like, where are you from? And he was like, well, you're not really supposed to ask people where they're from anymore or what? And I said, it, it really feels different if it feels like you're being interrogated for being in a space, right? You look a little different. You seem a little different. Your last name's different. You're, you know, people literally have said, oh, you're Chinese and Jewish. Like, how does that happen? You know, like, like, like a weird science experiment versus they said, how would it feel if you started out sharing something about yourself and saying, you know, my family's history comes from France, although I have one uncle from Poland where I have, um, you know, my my, you know, my family, we were pioneers and we've been here, you know, through four generations, and I, that's my story. What's your story? What, where do you come from? It feels really different. It feels like it's not um, an interrogation, or, you're, you're, or it's not one-sided, but it's really like a sharing. And I think some of that is realizing that your story is its own aspect of curiosity for the other person. That that itself is, it, it's, it's almost like seeing the curiosity in yourself, instead of making it feel like the only... Like, like, it can feel negative to be a curiosity, to be, like, a weird thing that somebody's interrogating, but it can feel really mm, positive right, to be right. approached with mutual curiosity. Then it can feel totally different. You know, the, uh, they say that when at, that the family dinner with children, so people with young children, um, a, a lot of times we talk about asking questions. How was your day? How was school? How was this? How are your friends? How was your homework? How did you do on the test? Um, but what we also should be doing is modeling how to share about our days. And so a lot of times parents don't do that, but it shouldn't just be tell me about your day. It should be also 
I, I made a big mistake at work today and I really need to repair it tomorrow and I'm going to be working hard to do that, you know, um, but sharing just a little bit of sharing about ourselves in order to, to invite that as well, you know, and allowing ourselves to be, to be vulnerable in that way. Um, anyone else? I'm just scrolling through for a second. Okay. So uh, just a couple of other um, interesting little teachings in Judaism. And again, I'm, sh- I'm, a- I'm happy to share these texts with you. I can email them to you afterwards. Um, but in Judaism, we know that there's so we say blessings over mundane things. Uh, in fact, if you, I always felt to, I could reduce all of Judaism to one, one pithy saying, it would be elevating the mundane to the sacred. So it's all about elevating mundane things we do, eating, uh, sexuality, um, you know, going for a walk. Everything is elevated to a level of mindfulness and godliness. So upon hearing the sound of the rooster, there's a blessing, uh, you know, blessing God who gave understanding to distinguish day from night. Upon opening our eyes, we say, thank you for giving sight to the blind. Upon walking, we say, thank you for making firm our steps. Um, Upon, you know, uh, seeing a rainbow or the new moon, um, on getting dressed, blessed are you who clothes the naked. There are blessings for everything that we do. And so it's interesting to think about mundane actions in our lives and how we become curious about their role and, and elevate them. So perhaps we can do a little exercise and just think about um, if going to a spiritual practice for in the week to come, in the weeks to come, what is, who is someone in your life who you might practice asking, uh, showing curiosity towards, not in what David was saying as a, you know, not making them into a curiosity, <laughs> but engage let's make a commitment to engaging someone in uh, learning, practicing learning a little bit more about, about other people. So I invite you, if there's anyone that you think you might make a commitment to expressing some curiosity about. Yeah, Scott. I know it's a little hard to do, to do that maybe um, with so much social isolation as it were, but I, I can't remember if, if we talked about this book or I heard about it on an interview but um, there, there was a man who won, who set out, he wrote a book, he, he set out to thank every person who was, had any role in his morning cup of coffee. And, and so he, he, he wrote a book about this and he embarked wow. on this long journey of, you know, not just finding out who grew the beans, but, you know, you know who, who contributed everything to growing the beans, where the beans who drove the truck to get the beans to the roasting center? You know, who was responsible wow. at the market for buying, buying them from the coffee producer? Who made his coffee cup? You know, what factory did it come from? Where that? So you can, you can do this with sort of like our mundane, you know, objects and, and, uh, you know, activities and sort of have that curious mindset about, you know, this simple thing that I do every day you know, how much effort actually went into it and how many people were involved in bringing this to me. Nice. So uh, there's a passage in the Talmud that says, Rabbi Yochanan said, even if the Torah had never been given, we would nonetheless have learned modesty from the cat who covers its excrement. 
And we'd learn that stealing is ob objectionable who does not take grain from another ant. And we'd learn about forbidden relations And we'd learn about proper relations from the rooster. Um, you know, so that the, the world, if we take notice of it and we're curious enough, we will teach us the values that, uh, that we seek so much. Um, there's also a passage most in, in Brachot, in the Talmud, Moses spoke in accordance to the in accordance to the with the principle articulated by the master. Um, accustom your tongue to saying I don't I don't know. Accustom your tongue to saying I do not know, lest you become entangled in a web of deceit. And I think there's something really beautiful about practice saying I don't know. Practice saying I don't know, and see how that changes uh, an interaction how it invites other people to, to be your teachers and how it invites uh, curiosity. Professor Carol Dweck in a TED talk talked about a high school in Chicago where students had to pass a certain number of courses to graduate. And if they didn't pass the course, they got the grade not yet. Instead of yeah. fail, they not yet. <laughs> and and I thought that was fantastic because if you get a failing grade, you think I'm nothing, I'm nowhere. But if you get the grade not yet, you understand that you are on a learning curve and it gives you a path into the future. Interesting. And, and that's where a lot of us are, you know, in the Hashbon Nefesh of this time of year. When we think about the tests that life has thrown at us, some of them we've passed and some of them not yet. Uh, the science of curiosity. Curiosity benefits our social and romantic lives. Curious people are often considered good listeners and conversationalists. Uh, one of the reasons that we talk about our interests and hobbies in early stages of relationship is people tend to equate having many interests with interesting, right? Um, curious people tend to bring fun and novelty into their lives. Curiosity is associated with intelligence and problem solving. Curious brains are active brains and active brains become smart brains is what uh, it's also said. So, said each, that. <laughs> yeah, so each day this week, um, at least once when we feel the impulse to reach for our phone or computer or check our email, instead maybe look around and notice something interesting. Some, like something positive that's going on around you or a natural sight that you haven't noticed before. And just be with that experience for a full minute and then resume as a practice. Uh, Madeline, I think you. Um, so there's nothing like watching a two-year-old a two or a three-year-old or a four-year-old be naturally curious. They're not driven by anything except for figuring something out or looking at a dog to see what, what their teeth look like, or they're just, it's really wonderful. And it's also in this stage of life of not to have to know everything. It's really not lovely to say, I don't know. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard for some people to say, I don't know. Hmm. It's also hard to say that. Uh, John, I think you had your hand up. Yeah, I, I just want to say my, my job, I meet new people almost every day. And you got to be curious because it's fun, right? They're coming out to do something they would not normally do. And you get to meet them, you get to learn about them. And 
you know, some are jerks, some are nice, you know, it's life, right? Whatever it is. But uh, generally, overall, being curious is a lot of fun. And I want to bring up one other quick thing that I've had over the last week. So I'm having a great day, and then it turns bad, right? You talk about the rookiness of curiosity. It really struck a nerve because I'm thinking, gee, everything was great, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's the S word. <laughs> it's bad, right? And then I started thinking maybe when it's really bad, it really is good. You know, and you just don't know yet, right? I, I found that interesting when you talk again about the rookiness of curiosity. I I, <laughs> I like being there. It's a nice place to be sometimes because you don't know it all. You just don't, yeah. and that's kind of cool too. So, well, I shared this with another class uh, earlier this, but um, the the purpose of learning is you have a subject. And if you imagine that subject as a pie chart, there's a certain sliver of the pie chart that you know about. Um, and the goal of secular learning is to increase your sliver so that you know more of that subject. Mathematics, whatever it is. But the purpose of religious learning, a spiritual journey, is that there's a pie chart and there's all the stuff that you don't know and the spiritual journey is to increase your awareness of how much you don't know. Don't it's not know. actually to increase your knowledge. It's right. to increase your awareness of how much you, in other words, it's to increase your sense of wonder. It's to increase your sense of radical amazement that Heschel talked about. And to be in that state of curiosity, just wonderful awe-filled curiosity. So just a couple of things this week uh, and leading up to Rosh Hashanah, practice saying, I don't know. Ask someone about their hobby that you haven't previously felt any interest in. Inquire about its details and why they, what, what someone has learned from this hobby and how they started. Um, Show interest in something that and that you haven't previously been interested in and see what happens. Um, practice being vulnerable and sharing in order to open other people up to share with you. And just see where that curiosity, where that having an, a beginner's mind, being something of an anthropologist in the world and studying the behavior of those around us with, with interest, with curiosity, see where that leads us. Um, I think it might lead us to some, as Alice in Wonderland, curiouser and curiouser, it might lead us to some really exciting and beautiful things. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.